Hi, I'm Megan Skidmore, and this is the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. I'm a woman, daughter, sister, spouse, mother, life coach, and person of faith on a mission to normalize asking questions and allowing doubts, not only in a faith journey, but in all aspects of life. Join me in bringing this traditionally taboo topic out of the shadows of shame and into the light. I'm a firm believer that we normalize through more talking and engaging in discussion. More talking peels back, exposes, and erases the layers of shame associated with questions and doubts. When we're more authentic about our journey, we are more powerful because shame has no power in the face of authenticity. Beyond the Shadow of Doubt is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, which is a part of the Dialogue Journal found at dialoguejournal.com forward slash podcast network. Founder Eugene England was a Mormon writer, teacher, and scholar who wrote, My faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. My hope is that this podcast is an extension of that vision. Today's episode welcomes guest Liz Thomas. Liz hails from Northern Utah, where she received her bachelor's in cultural anthropology from Utah State University. She changed her major to anthropology after joining a research lab with a roommate, and she has never looked back. Liz loves both the academic and applied sides of anthropology. Her work examines the intersection of migration, religion, and health. Most recently, she coordinated the Children's Cultural Program at the Cache Refugee and Immigrant Connection and worked on research examining the use of robots to help immigrant children in elementary school. Liz is currently securing funding for her next postdoctorate research project, an examination of the intersection of the LDS faith and identifying as LGBTQ+. Welcome to Episode 40. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Beyond the Shadow of Doubt podcast. I have wanted this guest on forever. I'm thrilled that Liz Thomas is here with us today. Liz, I was adding it up, trying to remember when you and I first met. I believe it was in 2019. Yeah, that's right. Oh. It was late 2019. Yeah. And you had moved into our ward or our congregation locally. And we both were put in the youth program, the youth program for young women, those who identify as women. And I was an advisor over the, I think, 14 and 15 year olds ish. And you were what's called the counselor in the presidency. And that began such a wonderful friendship that I cherish to this day. I'm really um, grateful to have Liz on today because of um, how you were a part of my journey. Coming out as a parent of an LGBTQ plus kiddo and how, uh, loving you always were and not judgmental which that took time before um you know i got brave enough to share it with you i think it was probably um 
beginning of 20 of January of 2021, or maybe December of 2020. Anyway, maybe we'll get to that later. So with that um, messy intro, <laughs> I just, I just love you a lot, Liz, and I'm grateful for you. And I'm really grateful that you are here on our podcast. Liz is currently a PhD candidate at SMU Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. And so that means we have had some amazing discussions, uh, lots of sharing, lots of going back and forth with ideas. So with that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to our listeners and share all about you, your background, your upbringing, where you're from, your family, your faith of origin, all of those things. Well, thanks. You are really, really kind to me again. And I am such a firm believer that like there aren't coincidences. Like I fully believe in the divine that's, that's guiding. And that is one thing that I've really felt as I chose to pursue a graduate degree and where to pursue it and how to pursue it, what to do it in. And, and even like the connections between my own faith community, my own ward congregation and, and what I needed to learn at specific moments in time to help me as, as it, someone who believes and as a researcher as well. So you are just as important in my faith journey as well, <laughs> as, as you're saying um, about me. So, so yeah, like you said, I am a doctoral candidate at Southern Methodist University and I study anthropology. And what that means is I study the experience of being human. And the particular form of anthropology that I do is cultural anthropology. It, that means that I like to engage with people and learn what it means for them to not just be a human being, but to be a social human being. How who they are is reflected to society and how what society is, how an individual decides to navigate that in their own lives and, and fit themselves into a place, a group of people, or how they choose to push back on that and everything in between. And I found anthropology. I had no clue what it was when I was doing my first couple of years of undergrad, but I was actually a veterinary science major going to be a, a vet and own all the animals in the world. But when I <laughs> served my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I ended up going to a place that I was really surprised to go to. I thought for sure, because as Latter-day Saints, we don't choose where we, to go on a mission. And I had lived in Brussels, Belgium as a kid. So I thought, oh, I'm a shoe in for going somewhere outside the United States. I've done the whole um, culture shock thing, been exposed to other languages. It would be no problem for me to go somewhere crazy and, and thrive. And I got called to Richmond, Virginia, Spanish speaking. And that wow. was a shock. And um, it was one of those moments where I had to have a serious discussion with my heavenly parents and say, oh, this is what you wanted. But they had given me some really cool signs leading up to me receiving my assignment that that I really knew that that's where I needed to go. And that's that was the group that I needed to learn from at that time. And it was the first time in my entire life of being a Latter-day Saint having lived in Brussels, Belgium, having lived in other states outside of Utah, what Latino Latter-day Saints sometimes refer to as La Fabrica, the, the factory of the church. Um, I thought I knew what it meant to be a Latter-day Saint. 
And then I went on my mission, Spanish speaking, and it was the first time in my life when I was interacting with a group of people that I saw being labeled as immigrants. I quickly realized after my mission that I had had friends that had been immigrants that had lived through many of the things that I was seeing on my mission, but I hadn't realized it until I was working with wonderful, incredible, strong, resilient people on a daily basis whose lives and whose faith looked so different than mine. I saw examples of faith that I didn't know if I could live up to, if asked to do the same things in my lives. I saw what it meant to commit to your family and to really sacrifice for a community, for your faith. And I just hadn't realized in my naive 19 years the experience that other people in my faith community had. And so when I got home from my mission, I had some experiences where I was lovingly but strongly told by my heavenly parents that being a veterinarian was not the path that was going to make me into the person that that they knew would bless me the most in this life. And they introduced me to some friends and to some professors that showed me anthropology, this engagement with human beings. And it was exactly what my mind had been kind of dwelling on since the beginning of my mission, that human beings are really cool. And particularly that understanding one's own faith community can be done through a lot of ways. The group that I got into at Utah State University, where I did my undergrad, was actually studying the experience of college-age Latter-day Saints in terms of how they navigated, believed in gender roles. And I started on the receiving end of the research, actually kind of like this. I was the one that my roommate was interviewing and asking all these weird questions and writing things down in a little notebook. And I had no clue what she was doing. So when they invited me to join the research lab to see where my information was going, I said, heck yes. And I joined and I never looked back because I started to get to talk to Latter-day Saints, not just in some um, surface level way at church. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Having assumptions about Latter-day Saints, well, who they should be, what they shouldn't be. I got to open my eyes and look at it through a scientific perspective. And that has blessed me so much as, as a Latter-day Saint and as a scholar to engage with something so near and dear to my heart. So other than that, I'm originally from Utah. I love it. I now kind of claim Texas as my home. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> and you're on your way to all of, well, all of those animals that you desired and were hoping oh, for. Oh <laughs> yeah. They're coming along on this crazy journey. <laughs> yes. Wow. So many fascinating things. Um, where to begin? As you know, one of my main goals in starting this podcast is to normalize these tough conversations surrounding our faith journeys, particularly when it comes to um, having questions and allowing doubts as they come up on our faith journeys. And they, they will for all of us. They might be different and surrounding different concepts or ideas or points of policy and or doctrine, but we all will have them. And I firmly believe that the more conversations that we have in open, non-judgmental, um, just safe spaces where the fear of getting 
you know, pushed away or ousted or pushed out of the tribe, so to speak, is, is minimal if, if not, you know, zero. So I um, would love, you, you touched on how your faith journey has, has shifted. Like you started, your eyes were opened. We could say when you first uh, were serving as a missionary, that's when you first remembered it. Right. Mm-hmm. And you felt uh, a shift, we could say in the way you were viewing things, maybe even a pivot in your faith journey. If, if you can, if you can recall, you know, did you feel resistance coming up at first when you were faced with a situation that challenged long held beliefs or understandings of the way things quote should be versus what you were actually experiencing with these people? You know, that's a really good question. As I was growing up, because I I lived for so much time outside the United States, where I went to a non-English speaking ward, where I didn't speak the language, I was the entire young woman program um, when I started Young Woman. My life has been really interesting in that the community aspect to my faith hasn't been an assumption for me. I, you know, until I was about 13 years old, I didn't know that there were other English speaking Latter-day Saint kids my age. And I was being raised by particularly a mother that had had her own challenges in life and trying to fit into the faith community. And so as I was growing up, she made it very clear that my relationship with the divine, my understanding of the divine was not to be mediated by a group of people. It was to be between me and the divine. And I watched her do that beautifully. And, and that has blessed me so much to, to have community be an additional essential element. We can't, at least for, for us as Latter-day Saints, we don't believe that we can do it in salt in, in solitude, we have to have each other, but my deepest held beliefs are between me and the divine ourselves. Don't forget to enter my podcast giveaway where the first prize is a $100 gift card. To do so, simply leave a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Upload a screenshot to my Google Doc. All the details and the link to enter, including the Google Doc, is in the show notes or in the bio of my Instagram profile. And so as it goes for pivots in my faith journey, um, the pivot has actually been in, in coming to bring that community in in healthy ways. And so when I was on my mission, I wouldn't say that there was a pivot in, that faced resistance in, in watching um, particularly immigrant members, but I'm just Latter-day Saints in Virginia living amazing lives and doing amazing things. I would say the resistance I saw and have experienced has actually been the resistance that I've seen other people go through. Um, and then trying, yeah, yeah, trying to understand how I can contribute to the community aspect of lowering that resistance. So one one experience that did really pivot my faith journey was after I'd started down this road of doing anthropology and 
I came to work on the same team that was looking at gender roles among, among young Latter-day Saints and what they meant. And I was doing interviews and I was doing surveys mm-hmm. and I sat down with someone that, that I had known a little bit beforehand and they were doing this as a favor to me. And I really thought they had their life all together. That they just always seemed to be that, I mean, just quintessential Latter-day Saint that was just in church, reading scriptures, just had all the friends. And as I was talking to them, we got to a question on the survey that asked, um, how often do you feel lonely? And this individual that looked to me like they had it so together responded that they actually felt lonely multiple times a week. That really shook me to see someone else that felt so alone when I assumed that they felt nothing but community. And then in that same project, several weeks later, I was doing an interview. And this time it it was with a young woman and, and she had just gotten married. And so we were talking about like what kind of came next for her in life, because kind of the assumption that that we have as Latter-day Saints, and that was proven in research, is that there's kind of this path that we go from mm-hmm. graduating high school, looking for a spouse, getting married in the temple, having children, and, and getting as much education as you can along the way. And as she was talking, she said, oh yeah, you know, I'd really like to go on and pursue my master's degree, but my parents especially my dad really want me to have kids. And I really want to do both. I really want to do both of those things. And she, she made a comment that she knew that that comment was odd, that she knew that she was rare in that. Mm-hmm. And that struck me because literally every other young woman that I'd been talking to in the weeks prior had said much the same thing. And yet here she sat feeling alone and so that has really been what's made me want to pivot and, and to figure out like what, what in my thinking isolates me from my community, but where can I see others being isolated? And what's my responsibility as someone who, who has my good days and my da- bad days, but on my good days, I really do feel like I have a responsibility to lift and to help others t- even if I can't change the circumstances themselves, I can make a comment in Sunday school. I can raise my hand. I can sit by them. I can do very real things mm-hmm. to minimize that. I think that's been my biggest pivot that I'm still very much working on. That is so, um, that that's so amazing. And I definitely have been a benefactor of that approach to your, um, your role within your faith community, because I never felt judged by you ever. I actually felt the exact opposite, which was a lot of love and a lot of just listening, an open heart, open mind type of approach. And I, I think that that is available to all of us in our faith communities. I, I'm on this quest to try to bring more of that. And I, I really believe that it starts with the one, similarly to what you experienced in those interviews with the youth, the young women um, responding and thinking that her response was so rare and unique to her, when in reality, you had some an inside view because you're the interviewer of the survey and you knew the responses of the others, but yet of course could not divulge that 
without breaching confidence to the participants of the survey. So that's that's interesting. And on, on the same breath, it's it's hopeful to me. Uh, I have found that as I choose, because it is a choice to put yourself out there, um, as I choose to be open and vulnerable, it really does in an unspoken, but definitely very heartfelt way, invite others to share and be vulnerable as well. Yeah. Um, I found that it happens more in one-on-one situations. My, my hope, my dream, we could say is for that to be able to happen among, you know, larger groups even, but um, regardless, it's a good thing. Um, that's where true connection happens, I believe. Yeah. Um, and Megan, if I can, I, you are so right. Like you saying that going back to having those conversations, being vulnerable, I 100% that that is where it is at. Like, and, and, you know, you're, you're so kind to me. I think the only, maybe a slight difference between me and another individual is that I've been trained to walk in expecting a difficult conversation, walking in knowing that I am going to talk about something that's misunderstood, that's misrepresented, that that someone is feeling active pain over. Like that's that's what anthropologists do. And, And something that I have had to work through with that is particularly as Latter-day Saints, we have this idea that we feel like that when we feel the spirit, we feel it in our body. And I don't know how other people are raised, but I was raised, oh, if you feel nervous, if you feel bad feelings, that that's the spirit telling you to get out of that situation. And now as an anthropologist that, that has added in not just a cultural level, a social level, but I also look at our biologies and how that plays into who we are as a social being, our bodies are going to respond. When we go into a nerve wracking conversation, when we approach these difficult topics, our bodies are going to tell us that this is difficult and this is scary. And so I think to have those conversations that you're talking about, we just have to recognize that we are doing something scary and we are doing something hard, but we're doing it and we're putting ourselves into an uncomfortable situation so that somebody else can be more comfortable among our faith community. Yeah. So, so many interesting things that caught my attention that you said the main difference in your words between you and perhaps another member you said was your training. You've been trained as an anthropologist to, to look for these ways that we are different and specifically experiencing life differently uh, to the point that, as you said, you can see individuals in active pain. Wow. That really struck me the way you put it because it it is true. Everybody is experiencing something difficult. That's just part of life. And how wonderful would it be if we don't just assume that we understand what that means for them, but rather went into each individual's personal space, if they invite us in with an open mind and an open heart about what that experience is like for them. Yeah. You're talking about active pain. And this is something that I have been trying to sort out in my mind for a while. And that is this, this idea of social constructs, 
sometimes I think individuals experience pain as a result of a social construct that for some reason has been passed down over the generations and folks see it more as a, as an absolute Mm -hmm. or as something that is not changeable Mm -hmm. or it's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, so from your viewpoint as an anthropologist, can you share a little bit more about your view of what a social construct is and how that um, manifests in our in our lives from a religious context or just being a, a human being type of a context? I mean, because they exist in all realms. They exist in the spiritual, mental, health, religious, political, all of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is this is the bread and butter of anthropology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we differ a little bit from sociologists in that sociologists tend to look um, a little bit closer to home. They might focus more explicitly on, um, if they're an American sociologist, they might be focused specifically on the United States. For an anthropologist, our goal tends to be to go as far from home as possible and to hold up this mirror to say, what does some component apparently some completely different experience teach me about my own experience. And so when I think about social constructs, I kind of imagine this this castle that we build ourselves, that whatever it might be, our understanding um, of what it means to be a Latter-day Saint, our understanding of gender, of sexuality, of patriotism, Mm -hmm. it can be anything. But we build this building in order to put something in and import and in order to keep something out. And it's not, for human beings, it's not usually a malicious intent, but it serves a purpose for us. It helps us to make sense of the world around us because as human beings, we want to categorize, we want to sort things. We want to know what to do with information that we're we're getting from a person or a place or a thing. And that keeps us safe. It helps us to feel secure in where we are. But what you can see is if you look at your own castle that you have built around whatever topic or issue, that if you look somewhere very different, you don't have to accept it as your worldview. You don't have to step in saying, I am ready to throw away my castle and go live in someone else's home. You don't have to do that at all. But when you go and you look at someone else's, perhaps they don't call it a castle. Perhaps they don't call it anything like you would recognize, and perhaps it doesn't even look like your castle, but you're going to see that they too have built some kind of structure that they keep safe within. And looking at the differences between those two structures can really be enlightening. A lot of the time, what we'll see is we are far more common as human beings than we ever would have realized before. But it also teaches us that there are other ways to live life that there are other ways that people live happy, successful, resilient lives. And I love that. Now, in terms of bringing that into a faith context, I found that, that this, this mindset might pe- make people a little bit more uncomfortable mm-hmm. because perhaps Definitely. your castle is built on what you see to be undeniable truths, truth with a capital T. And it gets really, really scary. And perhaps, I mean, even uncomfortable on a new level to think that other people are not doing the things that you've been taught you need to do, that you must do to make the divine happy, to make you acceptable to the divine. 
And there's a lot to break down with that, right? Come join me in Hopeful Spaces, a Dallas Hope Charities component of Hopeful Discussions, which is sponsored by Mercedes-Benz Financial Services USA. Hopeful Spaces is a monthly parent, caregiver, and ally support group facilitated by Megan Skidmore Coaching. To join is free. Simply send an email to chc at dallashopecharities.org. Thanks for joining and for listening to part one. Make sure to subscribe and follow. Don't miss when part two publishes in episode 41. I'm currently hosting a podcast giveaway. Simply leave a review on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it, and upload it to my Google Doc. After reviewing on Apple Podcasts, for a bonus entry, leave a rating on Spotify and upload to the same Google Doc. Share this giveaway with a friend. If your friend's name is drawn as winner, you both win a $100 gift card. The link to enter and to the Google Doc is in the show notes or in the bio of my Instagram profile. Visit MeganSkidmoreCoaching.com where you can find this podcast as well as additional free resources. Check the podcast show notes on any platform for links to sources cited. Follow me on Facebook or Instagram for more and to send me a DM. To help the podcast grow, please follow, rate, and review as well as share it with a friend. Thank you.